0: Today on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, we get to answer that question, what is digital parenting? With my guest, Dr. Adam Pletter from iParent 101, next on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to another episode of No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. I'm a dad and a parent and crazy busy adult like you. I don't want to say thank you for being here. I like the power of connection. Just through this podcast, I get to reach out to you and have a conversation about topics that relate to being a parent. To being an adult, something that interests you and me because I know I'm on a journey just like you and trying to figure out this world one day at a time. And believe me, it is a journey, it's not a destination because I still haven't figured it out myself, actually. This will be a weekly podcast about having a conversation and sense of community. Interview topics about being a dad and a parent and well rounded adult. We're all going through the same issues. I love being a dad and a parent, and I know the parenting stuff is hard. It's not easy. I'm not an expert. On today's podcast, my guest is Dr. Adam Pletter from iParent one oh one. We talk about parenting in the digital age. We all know should have, have the dialogue with our children about social media and cyber bullying, because it seems to be an ongoing thing. And parenting in the digital age can be challenging because everything's moving so fast. There's one thing I found on his website, the e course. It was a kind of a snapshot of 60 seconds, 60 seconds on the Internet. And I realized because I post all the time pictures and tweets and but the his snapshot, the 60 seconds on the Internet, there's six million Facebook views, 3.3 million posts, 40,000 tweets, 5,000 Instagram posts. Wow, 3.4 Google, million Google searches. 400 plus hours of YouTube video post in 4.4 WhatsApp apps. Set tech WhatsApp apps text. That's pretty amazing. How fast? How much stuff's out there? You don't realize because it's, it's come part of our regular routine. Hey, I want to know what uh, Bill is doing. Oh, you got a big bass fishing or something? There, you know. It's a. It's just come kind of like a fabric of everyday life. It's how we communicate. So. There's a lot of great content in this interview, so let's jump right in. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Adam Pletter, child psychologist, creator of iParent101.com, where he talks about parenting in the digital age. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, happy to be here, Joe.
0: I was wondering, what is um, iParent101?
1: Well, iParent101 was something that grew out of my clinical practice. I've been in private practice, this is coming up on 17 years. Uh, here in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Uh, and I my practice, my clinical practice, I work with families, college age and below. Um, so it's mostly children and adolescents, teenagers. And about 10 years ago... When the iPhone first came out and then the iPad and the iPod Touches, which is basically like an iPhone just without the phone app, um, a lot of the parenting work started to center around setting limits and um, helping parents deal with the digital age. How do you know, having tantrums when we take away the iPad? How much is too much TV? How much is, you know, um, c- constant screen time? Uh, then the teenagers started to get the phones and they would just, then they're walking around with these little computers in their pocket and then the, all the dangerous apps that started to come out and kids using and parents really, uh, what I kept getting asked about and what I, what I was observing is that parents, uh, in, in our generation who did not grow up with the internet, we didn't grow up with cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone until I was out of graduate school and the, You know, early 2000s, even I think I was on the late side, but um, I didn't see the need for a cell phone uh, back then. Um, And now, kids are getting cell phones as young as I have some patients who are, you know, seven, eight, and by the time they're, yeah, it's it's crazy. And and the time that they're teenagers, it's just part of their lives. So the digital I Parent 101, the digital parenting workshops. Um, grew out of my practice where I started doing this parenting work, teaching parents what the apps are, how to set limits, how to set the restrictions, the nuts and bolts of actually how to set up the parenting controls. Um, I go through basic contracting of uh, setting up the family rules, what are the household rules that you're expecting for your children, um, which is the same as I've been doing forever. But now it has a sort of digital spin to it, where it's just as important as any other parenting decision, and which we could talk about in a minute. But uh, so the iParent One Hundred and One started with live workshops, where I would go to PTA meetings at schools or um, other um, places would invite me, and I would present uh, this program that I developed, uh, teaching parents about the digital world, and then, like I said, how to set up the digital digital limits and what I refer to as digital access boxes, which are my recommendations based on each child's age and what they could handle. They get more digital access, more privilege um, as they go up the ladder. It's a basic behavior modification system um, based on what the child wants—they're they're incentivized. They want more digital access. Everyone wants to be treated older. And instead of the parents being in this reactive stance of "my child is on," uh, for example, Kick, which is this anonymous texting app, which you may have heard of—it's—it's it's unfortunately been in the news quite a bit because. There's tragic things that happen. So instead of the parent being in this reactive stance of, oh, no, we have a problem. How do we help? How do we deal with this now? I'm trying to – the iParent 101 is really designed to help parents be more proactive, to stay ahead of it. This is – we are allowing our child at age whatever to have this access, and we're aware of it. We know there's other dangers that we're not going to be in, tar- in charge of or on top of all the time, but we trust our child enough and we've taught them enough that the child themselves can be a savvy user over time. So that that's really where um, iParent 101 started, and uh, as we may talk about, now I have an online course also um where i've taken all of the live stuff and i put it into a slideshow format with a um where i talk over it and kind of go through all of it in a slower pace where parents could uh stream that live uh, stream that and um and get that on their own computer and go through it at their own pace
0: well it's interesting you talked about that um that that app that uh, one with the messenger app it was kiki or kick 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 k-i-k and it's interesting the fact that um I mean especially at our age we um I think that where our parents were worried about was that we had our own phone in our room and and maybe mm-hmm. we were talking to people at two or three o'clock in the morning go to bed and want us to go to bed now it's like we watch kids and you gotta watch every five seconds for the newest and greatest app and what are some tips maybe protecting kids online because there's so much so much stuff out there, and also it's also a lot of new stuff coming up really
1: quick uh so again i I would tackle it sort of in two different uh two different versions. One is to try to get the dialogue going it's from the parent point of view, because again we're the, the phrase is digital immigrants. We are digital immigrants. We didn't grow up with it. We are sort of immigrants to this new land of, of the digital world, right? And so we have to sort of assimilate as quickly as we can. Uh, so as digital immigrants I would get the dialogue going with our digital native children. Ken, because they grew up with this, they know nothing different. It's not weird to them to to have these apps. This is absolutely depending on the age of your child. Um, I by the way have an almost 13 year old at home and a nine-year-old at home. So I'm I'm in it all day long at work and at home. Um, so again, I would tackle it on Helping the dialogue, the parent-child dialogue, number one, um, talking about things, having the rules be clear. Before you hand over the phone or the iPod or the iPad, have some basic rules laid out. This is what we're expecting, just like any other parenting decision. If your child is, I think you said you have a what, three-year-old, four-year-old?
0: Three-and-a-half-year-old.
1: Right. All right. I was close. Um, uh, you know, if, if when, you know, that you might have a neighbor that your, your son likes to go play with, you know, when he was two, you might have carried him across the street. Now that he's almost four, you might hold his hand as he walks across the street. Uh, uh, in a few years, you might watch him cross the street to make sure he looks both ways and it's safe. Eventually, he was probably going to walk across the street, you know, and you might be inside or you might watch from the window or, so again, in stages, having that, um, like any other parenting decision, you're 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 laying out what the expectations are. You're teaching them how to be safe, and you're you know both literally and figuratively holding their hand until they can demonstrate more appropriate behavior. So that's step one. I would I would really tackle it around having the rules and having that dialogue clear with your uh, child. And then the second piece, uh, you know, in order to do that in the digital world, unfortunately. Or fortunately, uh, parents, uh, in my opinion, have to be more proactive and be able to set limits, enforceable limits. And that's where the parental controls come in. Um, In my workshops and in my practice, I mostly deal with Apple products. And it's not because I think Apple products are necessarily better, um, but that's what most kids have and most kids want. The iPhone and the iPad rule, at least in 2017 so far – um, most of the questions I get. There's a few Android questions that come along, and I'm currently working on an Android uh, lesson just to have it as part of my program. But You know, some crazy percentage of kids that I work with, you know, in the upper 90% uh, have iPhones. And so I would go through, and this is part of what my workshop does, I would go through the nuts and bolts of how to set up the parental controls so the parent can know what is being downloaded on your child's phone. You're not going to be caught off guard that, oh, now my 12-year-old is talking to someone on Kick. Um, or any of the other Yik Yak, or I could go down a list of these anonymous messaging apps that kids love, and it's totally normal for them to love it. Connecting with people, connecting with friends, their social world. When you're a teenager, especially, that is the most important thing, and it's no, there's nothing wrong with that. That biologically, that is totally normal and developmentally appropriate, and so for, as parents, I would want to have some ability to set those limits. Um, and enforce that. And I can get into some details now, if you want, of a yeah, couple of yeah, a couple it's... of strategies. But that, that's that that's my somewhat long-winded answer Um but those two things.
0: One thing I wanted to add, and then maybe you would want to like um because you said deal with mostly Apple products. There's one that my wife and I use for Amazon. It actually has parental controls, and it only allows them to download certain games and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We do it for him. It's on the um it's Amazon. It's a kids version, but I have something I, I totally understand. That's what we do for him. We have Mm -hmm. Uh, We have an hour for any show he wants, and the rest of it is either books time or playing puzzles.
1: Yeah, that's great. Is that the Kindle? Kindle, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, the Kindle does have some parental controls that are pretty straightforward. You have to know to turn them on, and unfortunately, really, really smart – Uh, parents, sometimes it just doesn't occur to them that actually we should turn these things on. I often get, oh, but I trust my kid. Again, it's a little different when your kid's three, but when your son is seven and eight and, you know, savvy enough because he's grown up in this, again, as a digital native, um, he's gonna be, uh, ahead of you. There's just you know, no offense to you. My kids are ahead of me, and I deal with this all day long. I try to keep up. This is part of my job now, um, and my kids still know more than I do. Um, and so he is going to get ahead of you, and it's not about trusting your kid. It's about developing that trust. So by the time they're 15 and 18 and they're going off to college, they're going to be able to handle themselves. That's ultimately the goal. For now, uh, you know, I, you know, I think the Kindle is great. I think having those rules clearly defined, especially when he's three, but as he gets older, you're going to have to evolve. Those rules are going to evolve. You're going to allow for more. It's not going to be whatever show he wants, probably, because he might pick a show that he heard about on the bus that you don't want him to watch. And so it's going to get more complicated, um, which is totally normal. Um, that's no different than when we were kids. You know, there was probably—I remember Eddie Murphy came out for, uh, an album. It was on vinyl. Yeah, I think I it, that one e- either Delirious or Comedian, one of them, and it was totally inappropriate for me at that age. And I remember my dad, you know, uh, put it away. I think my brother actually bought it. He was a few years older than me, and I remember the—you know—it was taken away and it was put away. Um, Until I guess we were older, or or, what I don't remember how the story ended. But eventually, I guess we got it as we were older. Um, But the point is that that piece of the parenting it does not has not changed. It's still a parenting decision to set those limits. What has changed is the landscape, and it's more confusing and it's way more complicated now um and so you know so yes the kindle is a is a good option especially for young kids um i don't know about in the next several years what will happen but at least for now most you know older kids that i work with and i'm talking about seven eight nine thirteen fifteen um would not be satisfied with a kindle they want their iphone and they want uh the apps that they want which are not yeah go ahead it's
0: not some are not appropriate but one thing I, one thing I, since we we're talking about apps and then I guess social media is something, um, and then you know, all the kids are connected, and then mm-hmm. bullying. Bullying must become a real big deal, I guess, um, with sense of being all the kids, because when you're, when you're younger, especially our age, we go home and the bully stayed at work, I mean, stayed at school, but they're also connected with all the social media and, and, on the phones and stuff. I don't know if you, something that you deal with all the time, but bullying.
1: Yeah, I won't say all the time, but yes, it's a very common concern and, You know, in terms of my office, where I typically am working with people who are going through a problem, a difficult, so I can then help them problem solve, a very common problem is cyberbullying. And it doesn't have to be an anonymous app. You could be cyberbullied and know exactly who's bullying you. And like you said, it's, it doesn't just stay at lunch or at the playground. It's you know for these kids who are on their social media a lot, it ha- it's basically it's almost twenty four seven. Especially for those kids who have their uh, devices in their bedrooms, which I would strongly discourage. Um, as a rule, not to have it in their bedroom for lots of reasons. But it's sort of this 24-7. If you, if you are unfortunate enough to have the target land on you, which again, the bullying target has been alive and well, unfortunately, since the beginning of time. There is this sort of imaginary target, as I talk about, that sort of floats over the classroom and it sort of lands on a kid for a particular reason, which, you know, we can get into. Um, not necessarily a fault of his own but the target lands somewhere it's in every classroom it's you know i don't know if it's human nature or what but it's it's definitely a real thing and so when the target lands on you know a child and then it follows them 24/7 it's a whole like i said it's not new but it's a whole new more complicated landscape to deal with it and it's way more intense Uh, add in an anonymous messaging app and then you're being bullied and harassed because it's really harassment. That's the technical term. You're being harassed by people you don't even know who it is. And then it's a whole other layer of anxiety because who is this? Who's making fun of me? Is this one of my friends? Is it that, you know, that mean kid at school who's giving me dirty looks? Is it, you know, it's, it's really hard to know. So it adds a whole other layer of, in my opinion, in my work, anxiety because, you know, anxiety breeds from the unknown, some unknown threat, some unknown danger. And then you have all this anticipatory anxiety of how you're going to handle it. And, and just the constant, as I said, harassment. Um, so yes, it's a very real concern and I don't think going away anytime soon. i like to see some of these programs at school and the, and the, and the discussion, um, from the parent point of view. And we could talk about dads, you know, not being on the sideline here just to you know, give a plug for your podcast, um, having, yeah, having uh, both parents involved to the extent that that's possible in having a dialogue with your kids, having that communication. So your children have a place to go to talk to and to get some help. And do you involve the school? You know, again, there's definitely protocols to go through when that starts to happen. So um, most schools are pretty well versed at this point. It's not a new thing unfortunately uh, police you know police I was just out at a conference back in october uh, out in l a where I was on a panel uh, with a bunch of police officers talking about this, and they 're very clear. Um, where they have the special tasks force now and, you know, where cyberbullying, when it's on social media, is something that they can track. And, the you know, the police officers, um, depending on where you are, do have ways of helping with that. And sometimes just for the child to be heard and there's some problem-solving going on, that can be really reassuring and lower the anxiety. And then if they're in my office, then we have the luxury to then think about, okay, what could they be doing differently? What could the child be doing differently? And that's where the more psychology piece comes in um, of why the target landed on them and what could they – not to blame them. I never blame the victim, but to try to empower them to kind of think through, okay, you know, right before they were being bullied in the classroom at least, what were they doing? What could they be doing differently um, to get them actively involved in the problem-solving to try to shake that target?
0: That's um yeah, cause it's it's so tough for kids nowadays. I mean, it was I don't say it was easy for kids or when we were kids, but it was so t- it's it's a lot more tough for them
1: nowadays. Well, it's, like I said, it's way more complicated. Is is the way I would describe it? <laughs> um, I guess it's tougher. Um, it's it's way more complicated. You know, parents. You know, years ago would be concerned about you know rock and roll music. Um, you know, suppose alcohol drinking and driving you know, certain types of other substance abuse, all of that is still alive and well in our current world. And now we have this added, very intense layer um, that is not going away. And that's part of why I, you know, I'm making this push through my iParent 101 program to help parents, to equip parents to be more proactive um, so they can help their kids. I would, um, like, what me want to talk
0: about is, um, since it's been a good transition, I guess, about parental controls, um, like iCloud, family sharing, the um, restrictions, the, guide, the guidance access, and, and the contract. Do
1: you want to talk a little bit about that? or Yeah, so you know those are all pieces of my uh, program, which I go through very slowly and in detail in my online course, which, again, you can get to through iparent com So what you just listed off there, I'll start with the family sharing. Family sharing is an Apple-only parental control where it's it's actually technically not a parental control, but I use it as, as one because what family sharing does is when you have a child and you have an Apple product, let's say the parent has an iPhone and the child has an iPad or an iPod Touch, like my nine-year-old has an iPod Touch at home, mm-hmm. what you do is you go through – if you look into settings, you go to iCloud and you set up the family sharing Uh, preferably even before you give the the device to your child this should be all be done by the parent and what you're doing is you're creating an apple id for yourself which you probably already have if you have an iphone which identifies your phone as your phone through apple and then you create a child apple id um, which is then for the for the child's device which is then linked to your sort of family umbrella and what that does, once it's set up, and again, I walk you through how to set it up, um, what that gives you is the advantage, multiple advantages. one is you could share all the music that you buy you know through iTunes, anything through iTunes, you could share among all your devices which is different than when the iPhone first came out like my wife and I both had an iPhone but if I bought a, a CD a, a music album and I wanted to share it with her I either had to go through burning the CD and then putting it on her it was a whole complicated thing <laughs> I or, I had, or I had to rebuy it for her and it was it was very complicated now if I buy a, an album on iTunes I could share it with her automatically cuz she's part of my family and so the family sharing it shares all the iTunes uh, products. In addition, it gives you a family-shared uh, calendar where I use this all the time in my practice, uh, teaching teenagers how to put things in their calendar to keep track of it. But then it goes – if they select the right family-shared calendar, then it, sh- it goes onto their parents' uh, calendar as well. So then the parent – it minimizes all this nagging back and forth where the parent could put something on your child's phone with an alert, and so it has the family-sharing. Uh, calendar, which I think is a huge um, organizational tool for families. And then most important, which is this is where the parental control comes in, it has this feature called Ask to Buy. And when you have a child in your family, in the family sharing, you you turn on Ask to Buy, and basically the child can go through into the App Store, find the app that they want to buy, click Get. But then before it automatically goes to their device, the parent gets a notification that Johnny or whoever your child is wants to get this app, it comes up on your phone and then you could click on it either hopefully Johnny already came to you and told you he was doing it so there goes the dialogue again having that communication and you could just hit approve and then it goes to Johnny's iTouch and Johnny has it or if you're not sure what this thing is you could click on it and it takes you to the iTunes page where you could read reviews, you could look at the age recommendations which aren't always great. If you're really feeling adventurous and trying to be a proactive digital parent. Um, you can go to commonsensemedia.org, which they, that's a great website um, that gives you lots of great reviews and um, recommendations. So you can educate yourself of, okay, what is this app that Johnny wants to get? And then you can go back to it and hit approve or decline. And if it's decline, what I always recommend to parents is it's not no, because it's really not. It's not yet or it's no, or it's, or it's yes. When is the phrasing I like to use. So yeah, you can get this app when you're 14 or when you're, or when I see you, you know, when I tell you to get off your phone, you don't have a temper tantrum. Um, you know, when I see you, you change your behavior, Johnny, you will get what you want. And so that's family sharing. The ask to buy feature is huge. And again, I walk you through how to do that in my program. Um, I don't know if how much detail you want me to go through some of the others. Then I go through the family, the the basic parental controls under restrictions, where you could set content restrictions. Um, you know, which basically means based on age, you could turn off certain apps. Um, I have a whole little article on my website called a virtual timeout, which uses that piece where you don't have to actually delete apps unless you want to. You, if you want to give your child a timeout uh, from playing. Um, I don't know, Clash of Clans or whatever app they're into or uh, Madden Mobile my son loves, if I wanted to give him a timeout from that, I don't have to delete it. I could just turn off the apps on his phone uh, through content restrictions in the restrictions section under settings, and it goes away. It's, it's inaccessible to him. It's not deleted. He doesn't lose any of the stuff that he's earned, um, which to me is a huge advantage for parents that you don't have to delete, delete it. You could just turn it off and it just becomes, it just doesn't show up on his home screen until you go back in to the restrictions with your four digit code that he does not know. He doesn't, he can't know it in the restriction, in restriction sec- section. And then, uh, you could turn it back on. And then he gets it back once he changes his behavior or a certain amount of time goes by. So that's the short version of restrictions. You could turn off Safari, which is the web browser. Um, again, if you want him to have a break of that or you can you know, turn off adult content in the Safari in the web browser. Um, you can turn off Safari and then install a kid-friendly web browser, which there's a lot of them out there. Uh, K9 probably being my favorite one, but there's MobiSip. There's a bunch of them out there, which is sort of a sanitized web browser. If you, if you want your child to have a web browser on their, on their individual device, I would recommend having a kid-friendly one, um, or you at least turn on those settings uh, on, for Safari. Instead of, here's the device, don't get in trouble oops, you got in trouble, now we've got to deal with it, which is more often than not what I hear in my office.
0: Yeah, it seems like they need, um, and I'm like on um, one of those um, app, like restriction apps and stuff like that, filtering apps and stuff like that. It does helping from the parents, and um, my son, like I said, he's
1: three. I mean, I can only imagine what's coming down the road four or five years from now. Well, I'll be happy to help you out. <laughs> um, and the contract that you mentioned, uh, as I said earlier, those are the household family rules. Uh, before you hand over the device, I always encourage right even if it's on a back of a dirty napkin, um, you know writing out what you're expecting And this way, there's some basic guidelines. all kids thrive when the rules are clear and consistent in any in any setting. I don't care if it's school, I don't care if it's home. When the rules are inconsistent and unclear, that's where more problems occur. Uh, so the contract is basically setting that forth. Um, being clear about that, and in my program, I have a customizable iParent one one contract uh, that people can download and customize to to uh, setting it up for your each family.
0: Well, then another quick question, I guess, um, a little transition to something. Uh, what is most of us? I mean, I know as an adult, I have my phone in my room, and I and, and I remember reading something. One of the going through something your website today about. The effects of sleeping, um, screen time mm-hmm. on, on kids and sleeping. And I know as an adult, it's, I know it has an effect on me in sleeping. I wonder what effects on kids. I don't know if you researched that at all. Or. Yeah, yeah um, I could,
1: you know, beyond the common sense piece, which is probably what you're referring to in that when you have something very distracting in your bedroom, it's going to impact what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) So I'll I'll put it that way. So if you're trying to do your homework and you have your iPhone near you and it keeps buzzing. um, And again, for teenagers, especially um, when with all Snapchat, Instagram, whatever the app that they're on that is, that is a perfectly fine app, let's say, but the amount of notifications that are popping up, the kids call it, their phone is blowing up. That's, that's the phrase, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the constant notifications, um, is going to distract you from what you're supposed to be doing. So if it's homework, it's going to slow you down from uh, – to it's going to interfere with your homework. And we can get into that also in terms of multitasking and all of that. If it's in your bedroom and what your task in front of you, what you're supposed to be doing is sleeping – you know, To me, common sense would say it's going to interfere. There's going to be an impact just for you at age 42, for me, and for our kids. It's going to impact. It's going to buzz. It's going to wake us up. It's going to um, just distract us. You know, When I'm lying there trying to fall asleep, um, even if I have it off, you know, like the sound off, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to be curious. Did, I, did that person message me back? Um, what am I missing? Uh, the whole idea of FOMO. <laughs> uh, fear of missing out, you know. At ten o'clock, when I'm not tired and I'm fourteen, I'm gonna be on my phone, and I'm gonna convince my parents it's gonna help me fall asleep because I'm watching TV. I'm watching Netflix on TV, and that, But again, it keeps them up. Um, so you know that's on the on one end. On uh, on what I think you what you watched, and I have a free. Um, yeah, the impact uh, of the internet, I think it's called. Um, and there's a video from, uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, who's out in California. He's done a really, some really great research. I mean, he's a really entertaining, well done, a uh, little video clip that I've included, um, in that. And he, he talks about, that's a, that's Siegel.com, I believe is his website. Definitely check that out. Um, and I believe in this clip, uh, he's talking about the the research that uh, the benefit of sleep, and when you don't get, and, and well, when you, when you don't get enough sleep, what happens is that there's a, a buildup the, of these toxins in your in your neurons in your brain cells that interfere with your functioning the next day. It, it makes it harder to concentrate, it makes it harder to, uh, your mood regulation, you're more likely to be grumpy. All the classic things when you didn't get enough sleep and you're sleep deprived, you can think about how that normally makes you feel, right? You're grumpy, you have a harder time focusing, and he, he talks about at least the current research of what, what why that is. And I guess the short version for for me to paraphrase it is that there are these special cells that they're finding that their job is while you're sleeping, those cells come in and help clean up those toxins. And if you don't sleep enough and you don't get enough sleep, um, they don't do their job and then the toxins build up. And then so there's that impact. So for those two reasons... Um, let alone scheduling and all these other things in our crazy lives and our you know, overscheduled kids. Um, I'm probably not at three and a half yet, but you know, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Um, you know, you know, my daughter doesn't get home some nights until you know close to nine, and then she still has to finish her homework. And then, um, you know, for her to be on her phone, you know, come ten, eleven, you know, that's not going to work. She's going to be very <laughs> unhappy when her alarm goes off the next day. So, um, so you know, so that's my relatively short answer. Um, you know, that sleep deprivation is very real in teenagers. It has been since I've begun my practice even before cell phones and it's gotten, you know, whatever exponent you want to throw, it's gotten, you know, 10, whatever times worse, um, with the introduction of cell phones in their bedrooms. So I always recommend having their cell phones out of their bedrooms. And before you ask what I typically hear is, but what about using it as an alarm clock? How else am I going to wake up? Right. I hear that all the time. And so my suggestion without sounding too condescending, because I don't want to be condescending, is you could buy a different alarm clock or there's alarm clocks that, you know, you don't need to use your cell phone as the alarm clock, um, when you're a teenager. Um, by the time they get to college, they probably will be. Um, but hopefully by then they've learned to turn it off and they've learned, um, Uh, how to manage it better. But, you know, it's a real issue for college students too. So my hope is that the, these, this younger generation coming up, you know, I, you know, my, my program is really geared towards the younger kids, you know, and you're sort of right at the beginning of that uh, with a three and a half year old, you might feel like it's, you're, you're almost too young yet, but you're right at that beginning now where if you could have some of this in place, And for whatever parents out there listening, it's not too late if you have a 14 or 15 year old. I still would recommend doing some of these things, but it's way easier. You know, before the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's really hard to put it back in. So it's way easier to be proactive and have you know, this next generation of kids who are growing up having these, these pieces in place so they know nothing different. Of course, there's a contract before I get my phone. That makes sense. Of course, there's rules that you know I have to follow in order to have this con- to have this awesome phone in my pocket. Of course, just like if I'm learning to at age 15, or I don't know what it is in, in uh, Massachusetts, but to get a driver's license, or at least uh, a learner's permit in Maryland, You have to be 15, nine months. But it's not just that. You have to be that age and you have to pass a test. And then to get behind the wheel, you have to get this many hours of practice. And then you have to pass a road test. And then, you know, there's this government issued plan in place that kids just accept. Of course I have to do that because driving is dangerous. I have to prove to my parents and to whatever government agency that I can handle it. Well, there's no there's no lesson there's no license for uh, to get on kick nope. it's up to us as parents to set those limits and to teach our kids how to manage these things and to regulate so that's again a bit of a long-winded answer but that is uh, th- that's that that's that's where I would go
0: well it's interesting you wanted, I wanted to add I wanted, I didn't want to cut uh, cut you off but um, it's interesting that uh, after watching that video on your website, Actually, when I'm done this interview, I'm going to go out by myself an alarm clock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> well, um, a little well, more about your workshops and your e courses, and then we can um, you know, wrap it up with a final thought.
1: Sure. Uh, so again, I think I covered a, a lot of it. So, th- the live workshops uh, are typically ninety minutes to and to two hours are is what I. Work the best. I also do 60-minute uh, shorter versions, more of a crash course, uh, often at PTA meetings. They don't have, um, you know, two hours to to carve in. So, uh, for the PTA meetings, I often do just 60 minutes, and I just do a very short version. And what I do in these work, the live workshops, um, it's it's a very similar uh, course uh, that is now on the website on the e-course which is I go through helping parents understand the problem. The problem, as I define it, is that as digital immigrant parents, we are in charge of the digital world. And we don't know as much as our kids. And if we do, we're not going to know as much as our kids. They are natives. And so there's an inherent problem that we're in charge of teaching and keeping them safe when we don't know as much as them. So I go through... Uh, trying to understand that problem and bringing parents up to speed uh, through this game that I call Name That App, where I go through the most common apps and what to watch out for and and how to turn certain things on and off for the apps. Uh, geotagging, for example, is something parents should all know about. So I go through all these different things. Um, the geotagging by the way is, uh, the satellite image, uh, d- data that is uh, embedded in the, in photographs of when the picture was taken, where, which creates all kind of safety concerns for kids walking around the mall, taking pictures, um, so, again, just as an example, so I go through, um, name that problem, then I go through the parental controls, and again, in a live workshop, I go through all that pretty quickly, because uh, some of it does get a little bit technical. Um, again, I'm a psychologist, I'm not a tech expert, so I don't go through the real nitty-gritty of the of the tech side. Um, But I'll go through my understanding of the parental controls and what I, over the years, I've learned works and what are the heads up of things that, that don't work as well, but it's still worth understanding. Then I go through the contracting. And like I said, I have this customizable contract that I offer parents. Uh, to set it up, um, and cover what you want for your family. And then the fourth, uh, lesson that I go through in both my live workshop and in the online course are, are the DABs, the D, the DAB, digital access boxes. Where, as I said earlier, it's basically a level system, a ladder system where, depending on the kid's age and what they can demonstrate, you as the parent, because you're in charge, you are offering them higher level of access so when they're behaving appropriately and they're at a certain age they get more access and then built in when they're behaving inappropriately then you could bring them down the ladder you'd say okay well you know because you blank I'm bringing you back down. you know you're moving you back down to box 2 which means these apps disappear and the way you get them back is by changing your behavior to get what you want you change your behavior you'll get the app back
0: and then your website is iparent101.com
1: you got it. iParent101.com.
0: And all the stuff you mentioned in the uh, the interview today, I'll make sure it will be in the show notes, all uh, the links and stuff like that. Perfect. Um, Thank- any final thoughts, anything you want to, um, any words of wisdom you want to give to the parents out there? <laughs>
1: words of wisdom. Um, <laughs> I, again, to, to pull from you, the title of your podcast, um, I'm a dad uh, and, you know, Probably the most common parent I work with in my office is not a dad um, and so part of what you know I, I'm very excited about your podcast and and you know not to give you a plug in your own podcast but I, I like the idea of both parents, you know whether you have a clear division of labor in your family or not and whether you're married separated divorced co-parenting is just that and you if you're lucky enough to, if if a kid is lucky enough to have two parents because that's not always the case uh, for both parents uh, to be as involved as possible, not to overparent, not to helicopter or bulldoze or whatever the newest term is of, of doing too much parenting. I, I don't believe in that, but to be able to teach your kids what is necessary for them to be the savvy individuals that they're growing up to be. That is our job as parents. That is our, again, not to sound condescending, that is our obligation as parents, to teach our kids, to protect our kids. So for both parents to be involved in that, I think is so very, very important. And so I don't know if that's wisdom, but to seek out the information that you, that you need in order to do that. And so to to me, like, like I said, uh, working outside of, of Washington, D.C., I work with some very, very high-powered, uh, very intelligent, well-intentioned, lovely parents. I would say all, all of the parents I probably work with would fall into that, but so many of them, and if any of them are out there listening, I, you know, I don't mean this to be offensive, but so many of them and where this program grew out of, um, when I mention some of these basic things, they really have no idea that this stuff is out there. And these are the really bright, well-intentioned, they're bringing their kids to therapy, they want help. They want to help their kids. They're doing the right thing. And they're just not aware of these things. Um, So I think Apple could do a better job also of advertising it, but I'm guessing there's some reason why they don't. Um, Some bottom line there. Um, Less purchases or something. Um, But the parents, I would say, Uh, To seek out the information you need in order to fulfill that obligation to parent and protect your children, It's, it's so important and not as complicated. If I could learn it as a psychologist, it's not that complicated, and to seek it out, And to be as proactive as you can be, just like that's, you know, you could use any analogy you want, but like I said, like any other parenting decision, walking across the street to your friend's house, you know, there was a process that the parent went through with their child. This is no different. And so um, that, that would be, I guess, my big push, and that really is the whole point of my, my workshop. And in some cases, a lot of the, even in my private practice, a lot of what I'm attempting to help families with is to get that dialogue going um, outside of my office so the child and parents can uh, problem solve whatever the thing is that's uh, getting in the child's way without my help, that they can go on and continue to do that uh, after we end. Uh, so along with this program, it's the same basic model. Um, I want to equip the parents to equip their children so they could be the savvy users they will need to be in this digital world. It's not going away. So um, thank you. I, uh, I really appreciated this, this conversation. I'm happy to do a follow-up at any point um, if you want more information. Um, I could be – ironically enough, I am all over social media. Uh, from Twitter, you could search me out either, either my name, which again is Adam Pletter, P-L-E-T-T-E-R, uh, Dr. Adam Pletter or iParent101 on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, um, Facebook, uh, I have a couple of, uh, there's a private Facebook page for the parents who have taken the course to continue that that dialogue and discussion and problem-solving. And And then I also have a public um, uh, iParent101.com Facebook page where I post lots of tips and um, different things like that to help parents along in this uh, journey that we're all on.
0: Definitely a journey. And again, I want to thank you, Dr. Putter, for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Thank you for joining me on the new Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast. I want to say thank you to Dr. Plutter for being on the podcast. You can find more about iParent101 over at iParent101.com. You'll also find all the show notes over at No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast slash 18. All the things we talked about on the show will be over there. There's a few things I learned from this podcast. Be involved. Be consistent with the rules and electronics, internet, be proactive. We're as adults. We're we didn't grow up with this. The kids are so we're considered digital immigrants. We're not born into this. They don't, they're they're more digital natives because they're that's how they grow up. And they'll be one day will be fat, better than us because things are so fast. And lines keep lines of communication open is important. You can find all my contact information. At no sitting on the sideline slash contact. Thank you for your time. Until next time, have fun. Get involved with your children. Hug them and tell them how much you love them. Because time's short. We appreciate the time you do spend with them. Until next time, God bless. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.